The Guardian. It's day three of the Sydney Siege Inquest. I'm Michael Safi. Bridie Jabour, is it paranoia if they're really watching you? Well, that is the key question from today's hearings, isn't it? We heard from um, Man Haron Monis's psychiatrist today, and they were talking about his paranoia about being watched. He thought he was being watched in his bathroom. He thought he was being watched in his bedroom. He thought people were recording him when he was in the psychiatrist's rooms. But, Michael, was he being watched? Well, potentially, because he was on the ASIO watch list for at least one year after it emerged that he was sending offensive letters to the families of dead soldiers. Now, apparently, he was taken off the list in 2009, but it does raise the question, was he paranoid to believe he was... He was being surveilled by, he said, the Iranian and the Australian governments. And this question was put to Dr. Kristen Barrett today. What would be the behaviour of someone who was being watched by ASIO as opposed to the behaviour of someone who is paranoid and thinks they're being watched by various organisations? And she said the behaviour really wouldn't differ. Your reactions wouldn't differ. So it would be hard to tell the behaviour of someone who is paranoid and mentally unstable as opposed to someone who is actually being watched and knows they are being watched. So very late today, the big revelation was that Manharon Monus was seeing two different psychiatrists at once in 2010. So to Kristen Barrett, he presents himself as someone who is paranoid, as someone who has uh, chronic schizophrenia. He talks about his, his family. In contrast with Daniel Murray, I mean, Murray isn't even aware he has a family in Australia. And, and he said that he saw no signs of psychosis and that they would have been unmissable. And he and he diagnosed him with uh, PTSD. He didn't know the exact trauma that he'd undertaken in Iran. But Dr. Murray said that there, there was a degree of like believability that he had PTSD because he knew he had a protection visa as a refugee. So he assumed that there were traumatic events in Iran. He also diagnosed him with a panic disorder as well. And the interesting thing about Murray was that he was seeing him for five years. So Kristen saw him from what the April 2010 through to about September 2011. But Murray was with him for five years. Well, it, it was five sessions over five years. So it was, it was a, a few in 2005, and I think a, little, a, a few more in 2010. But he said, interestingly, in that period, he saw no real changes in the guy. I mean, he was the same the same person, you know, a, a little bit serious, uh, showing signs of depression, anxiety, but he was very clear, uh, no psychosis, no schizophrenia. And it led to this question, which Gormley put, put at the end to Murray, which was, you know, what is the possibility here that Manharon Monus was, was diagnosis shopping, was going to these doctors and trying to elicit a particular diagnosis? Yeah, and he said that that was a possibility. Murray was very wary of sa- of putting a reason to why Monis was doing doing it. He said that that could be a possibility. He would say that it was very manipulative of him, and he was obviously a man who could co- compartmentalize, present as one person to someone else, and then as a different person to another per- uh, another psychiatrist. The other interesting thing that Murray said: Murray thought that he had a rep- uh, rapport with Monis, and he felt that he knew the man and that he w- he was having an insight. Whereas Kristen, Dr. Barrett, said that she could not get past him keeping her at arm's length and she actually constantly wondered why he kept showing up for appointments with her. And we know that, that Monis can manipulate people because he was having affairs, he had several children by different women and he, I mean, to the very end was able to convince women to kind of go along with whatever schemes. Um, well, he had a spiritual healing business where he convinced people he was getting rid of like their black spirits and yeah. that he could curse them. You know, it, for me... 
the fact that even these trained professionals can't get a grip on who this guy is, it raises this concern that we're going to come out of these two weeks and we're going to come out of the whole inquest without a strong idea of who Manharon Monas is. You know, there, there aren't going to be, you know, the discovery of the kind of the Monas diaries where he lays out exactly who he is, exactly what he planned. Maybe, maybe he, he himself didn't even know. Well, this is the question that you and I keep coming back to every day and we're always circling around it. Who was he? And what motivated him? And I think that you're right. There is start, that there is beginning to be some concern that we don't know what motivated him. And the other interesting thing I noted today was we also heard from a, a man who trained Monos in a security guard course for 14 days in 2012. I'm, I'm sure it's relevant that we're hearing from him, but isn't it interesting that this is the witnesses we're hearing from him and these are the people that are supposed to have known him? There's no friends. There's no social acquaintances. To our knowledge, there aren't going to be any friends being caught up. These are the people that the inquest can dig up, people from three years ago who had 14 sessions with him as a teacher and they're supposed to be painting a picture of who this man was and what he was like. Let me ask you a question. Is is, I was thinking about this today. Um, do you think that the fact that he walks into the Lint Cafe with a shotgun last December, is that is that in keeping with his behaviour? I mean, we know that he's a guy who's committed numerous sexual offences. He was facing trial as an accessory to murder. Is there necessarily going to be something that made him snap that day or a few days before? Or is the is the fact that he took part in this siege, is that really in keeping with the man Heron Monus who, who is emerging? You know, I can't see it yet. In the three days of evidence, I can't see it as keeping with the men Heron Monus that we are hearing about. And everyone does, every witness up on that stand has said the same thing. They couldn't believe it when they found out who, who the siege gunman was. Um, he never seemed to show any he, sexual assaults, yes, but they were through manipulation Yeah, yeah. You know, rather actually, than violence. You're absolutely right, actually, because, because both his psychiatrists said they were, A, surprised to see him as part of the siege, but B, I mean, saw nothing to ever indicate that he held extremist beliefs, that he would be violent. They themselves never felt threatened. As, as you said, at least one of them felt like he was able to build a rapport with the guy. So... And, you know, this actually backs up what a lot of, um, you know, Monus's sort of closer associates were saying too after the siege, which was that we just never expected it would be him. I mean, in a sense, you kind of, perhaps it's also the security agencies that thought that too, because we know he was on their radar, but they took him off. We know that he received, um, you know, there were tip-offs tip in the uh, lead-up to the siege, which um, the security agencies didn't act on. Maybe this is a guy who nobody looked at and thought, you know, is capable of the sort of violence that, that played out that day, despite this record that's completely littered with violence. I think that he, may, he became increasingly erratic in a very, very short amount of time as well, because we, we, we see him in the psychiatrist's office. We see him doing the community service in April 2014. We heard from the man that worked with him then yesterday, and he was no tendencies to violence, very polite. We heard that word again and again today. We've heard it every day, very polite, very courteous, softly spoken. So if if he did snap, I think that that's becoming an increasing possibility that there was some type of snapping moment. And I think oh, this was extreme, erratic and violent behaviour that happened during the siege. And I think he actually built up to that in a very short amount of time. I guess the other thing is the story behind the inquest, which on which we saw a few developments today, and that was that the Director of Public Prosecutions is apparently arguing for the question of whether Monis should have been out on bail to be taken out of the terms of reference of the inquest. They're arguing it's too wide. Uh, the inquest is studying whether 
the authorities responded adequately. Adequately is the direct quote. And his bail conditions come under that. And I think it's a completely legitimate question. And I think that the inquest does have to examine it. He had more than 40 counts of sexual assault. We do keep hearing these stories again and again and again and this of men being let out on bail when they're on charge of sexual assault and committing more violent crimes. He had also been charged with a violent crime, the accessory to murder. And I think it is a, I don't think that this inquest can do its job properly if it cannot examine why he was let out on bail. I agree. I think it's a question of legitimacy. I think if we come out of this inquest without a better sense of, you know, what was on the judge's mind, you know, is this the way the system always works? You know, I don't think people will come away from this thinking that we've done everything we can to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, and, and next Friday, we're not going to find out till next Friday, the coroner's decision on that one. But meanwhile, tomorrow, I'll be back inside the inquest. I'm not exactly sure which witnesses are coming up tomorrow. I don't think we were told at the end of today. No, no, it's been held. It's been like a lot of things with this inquest. It's been a kind of tightly held secret. But we'll, we'll be back here at this desk again tomorrow discussing what more we've found out about this very complex man. Look forward to it. For more great downloads, head to theguardian.com slash audio.